Welcome back. Episode 29 of A Hoops Journey. Um, Going to go on a limb and say this guest might be the toughest guest we have, especially when she's bringing the ball up the court and if uh, you get in her way on a screen. Someone I've gotten to know very well over the years through through the basketball world. Uh, amazing person. Super thrilled. She likes to think of herself as maybe the number one fan of the podcast, but uh, that's not the reason that she's on. She's on because she has an amazing story, and uh, we're excited to have Trixie Cruz with us tonight. How are you? Oh my God, I'm so happy to be here and um, feel very honored that I get to be a guest on your show for sure. Well, you know, it's not for everyone, so you should feel honored. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) We're not like that. But uh, as you know, you know, for us, I think it's important to um, interview female basketball players as well. And um, we've been wanting to get you on for a while, but, you know, life is busy and juggling and f- trying to figure a whole bunch of stuff out and how is things going for you like I know you're you're super busy getting back to work and then you've got um you know your master's degree going and you know you got the boys and juggling everything so how how are things going and how's been the start of the year for you guys over at Vancouver College uh yeah I mean I was just like you um way more excited to be back at school than being at home online with my students. And uh, at Vancouver College, I think we've done this amazing job of making sure that we get to see the kids in person and kind of shift and pivot and make sure that the schedule is uh, such that, you know, the senior school kids come every other day, but we get the middle school kids and the elementary kids every day. So I think it's really important. You know, for me, I think the mental health of students really is a number one thing and being in school and seeing their friends and, you know, touching base with their teachers is a big part of that. So I, uh, I'm really pumped about being back at school. And, you know, this year, like you said, I'm doing my master's degree and I'm doing my practicum. So I'm actually at another school on Tuesdays and Thursdays in North Vancouver. So I'm really busy, but it's, uh, (laughs) it's good. And, uh, yeah, I'm just really happy to be back. And, uh, you know, even though COVID is what it is, um, I think there's a lot of room for us to kind of, you know, pivot and change and be able to kind of go with it. Yeah. Um, I agree. You know, I'm pumped to be back too. And I, and I totally agree about the kids and just the socialization, even as adults, I was like, man, it's like, nice to just see other faces and talk to other people, you know, and, and get back into, to, to that stuff again. Cause it's it just, um, I don't know. It feels like a little bit of a weight off the shoulders. Like you say, even though things are still kind of around us, but we're doing our best. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what each school does in terms of how do they change? You know, if we, if we do get back to what times were like, what do we kind of keep from this? Cause I'm seeing some cool things coming up that are like, Whoa, maybe we can keep that when we have the opportunity to have everybody in the building again, you know? So I, I think, um, it's about perspective too, and trying to find some good in it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that we've been challenged as educators to kind of figure out a different way to teach. And so there's definitely going to be some things that we'll keep because of, um, having to go online and having to look at a different way of teaching. Right. Yeah. And why not just, you know, get the masters going and have to be in North Van twice a week too. You might, you might as well, you know, what do they say? Well, no rest masters, for the wicked. Yeah, the Masters is a, has been like a three-year 
like time commitment. And so this is, I'm at the end of it. So I'm really kind of seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and it's uh, my practicum hours. And so, you know, just accumulating the hours, I've done clinic work already. I've done all of my courses. And so um, it's just the last bit of it. And so I'm really hoping that I finish on time. Um, but yeah, really excited to kind of move into a different aspect of, um, you know, education, but also it can journey into something else down the road too. Yeah. Good for you. It's awesome. I think, um, I thoroughly enjoyed my master's and it sounds like you're having a great time with yours, you know, and it, it is hard, but you know, you're learning and growing and how are the boys, how, you know, you got, uh, two post-secondary here and obviously sitting there waiting to figure out what's going to happen with their seasons. You know, we've got fingers crossed and everything, but, um, what are the stories that they're coming home with or when you ever get to see them and chat with them, <laughs> you know, in your, in your busy lives? Um, how, how are they doing? Yeah. Well, um, Jack, who has always lived kind of on UBC campus for the last couple of years has had to stay home. And I mean, mm -hmm. we do live really close to UBC, so it's not that far of a stretch, but you know, having to shift around his schedule and being online for both of the kids is a huge difference, right? Like not being in the classroom in the university setting. And especially for Hunter, who's up at SFU, um, he's staying in the res. And um, the whole purpose was because of training and to being able to be close to the team. And But, you know, he's kind of in his own little cell. And so I think he's feeling a little bit like ripped off and isolated from like the university experience. Um, you know, he's working online for sure. But again, as a first year student, you don't have the opportunity to kind of see what that really looks like yet. So he's just yeah. like sitting, staring at his computer. So it's been tough. I mean, the saving grace is that they're both really happy that their teams are kind of meeting and they're able to play and, you know, train and obviously under COVID guidelines, uh, NCAA rules are slightly different than um, what Kevin and UBC is able to do at this stage in the game. Okay. So um, it's just different in terms of like what they're able to do, whether or not the season goes on is still yet to be determined. Jack told me that UBC and U sports has said that they're pushing that deadline to kind of revisit whether or not they're canceling um, sometime in November. Cause they were supposed to do it. I think this week they were supposed to come up with a, you know, a definitive answer and they decide to shift that. And, and then of course, with uh, the NCAA, I don't really anticipate it going. I mean, I can't really see that happening with, you know, cross-border um, players coming from, you know, highly um, high incident places like California and um, Oregon and Washington. Mm -hmm. So um, it's going to be unfortunate, but you know, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Not much you can do there. Totally. But yeah, I get that. And then the frustration of being a first year and always too, for private school kids, they get to finally not be in dress code. They get to go to like post-secondary and rock what they want, you know, and yeah. they don't even get to flex there. <laughs> they don't even get to flex their like nice outfit on day one no, and everybody no. see it. They get stuck online behind a computer. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. for Hunter, he's like sitting in his uh, little dorm up there on the hill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's got Coach Hanson looking open. out for him. We know yeah, he's got Steve sure. Hanson. We know he's in good hands, right? Yeah, exactly. You've got a great story, and 
you know, you played at Langara like myself and moved on to UBC and had success there. And, um, you know, looking at your bio and everything, learning things about you that I'd even know, like winning a junior and a senior title. So what was life, you know, when you were little, how, how did sport come into your life and, and, uh, sort of start getting towards basketball as a path for you? Yeah. Well, you know, I was a kid that was really active and, um, you know, we didn't really have sports influence. Like my parents were immigrant, we're an immigrant family. We actually were um, sent to Winnipeg. So, you know, my parents come to Canada and they put all the Filipinos all in Winnipeg. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> you or, know, my dad's... Corbin's dying because he's got family in Winnipeg too. 99% of my family Oh yeah, they know. <laughs> um, you know, where lowest population is, send them there. So we, um, we came to Canada and after three years of winter peg, my dad was like, no, we're moving to the West coast. So we uh, landed in Vancouver and uh, shortly after moved to Richmond, but you know, I have an older brother. He's seven years older than I am and um, an older sister. And my brother played football and basketball, but he wasn't like super into sports. And it was really my twin sister and I who, you know, kind of had a love for all sports and, you always have that like one teacher when you're in elementary school that says you're really athletic, like, you know, come and do this. So track and field was like my first love. Um, my sister and I were pretty quick for our age. And, um, so we, we spent a lot of time running a lot of track. And then of course, in elementary school, you get to play basketball and volleyball and do all those cool things. So, um, yeah, I got introduced to sports in that manner, but I never did community sports because my parents were working all the time and nobody had time to drive us anywhere. And then, we had played soccer um, one year because somebody noticed that we were athletic. And my mom said, well, I don't have a ride for my kids. And the coach said, well, I'll pick them up. So we had a coach that was willing to drive across Richmond and pick us up every day for soccer practice. And we kind of fell in love with that sport first. And I loved soccer. And at that age, I think I was like in the sixth grade, they decided to make like a Metro league. So um, my sister and I, you know, hadn't played much yet, but, um, with our athleticism, we made the team and we ended up meeting a lot of girls from across Richmond. And so I think that was like the first time that we experienced like competitive sports. And I had always been a really competitive kid. Like, you know, you always know that in you and I'm sure you see it in your own kids, but like, you know, I was never going to back down and I always thought I was better than the boys and I was faster than the boys. And so I, you um, still do, by the way. <laughs> Yeah. And I loved it. So, um, soccer was it. And then, um, in grade eight, I, well, the reason why I went to Palmer actually is because, um, all of the girls on my soccer team were going to go to Palmer and we were a really good athletic group of girls. And so I didn't want to risk going to London and at the time it wasn't London Stevenson, it was just the junior high London. And all of my friends were like, what are you doing? You know, like you leave all of your elementary school friends. And, uh, I said, well, I want to go and play in a really competitive team. So my sister and I literally, it was like July or something like that. And we decided to switch and go to Palmer. And, uh, I think that definitely was the best decision I ever made because even though, I hadn't, didn't know anybody except for a few girls on my soccer team. Um, the school atmosphere was totally built for like what I wanted. Right. And at the time, um, I didn't really know it, but, um, actually backtrack my sister, when I was in the sixth grade, she's three years older than I am. She was dating Joey DeWitt. <laughs> so, <laughs> and my sister, uh, you know, didn't 
you know, know much about basketball or whatever, but, um, he would run over to our house, uh, from Palmer, you know, and we lived on the other side of Richmond, um, just to come and hang out with her. And I remember him coming over for dinner once and, you know, we'd shoot hoops in the front yard. And I was thinking to my, myself, like, how was my sister dating this like really good basketball player? Like, right. She didn't even appreciate it. Um, <laughs> and then her coach at uh, one of the coaches at her school, cause she went to London at the time said, Hey, do you know anybody who's dating Joey Duet? He seems to be skipping out on practices. <laughs> My sister just kept her mouth shut. <laughs> so she was like the girl that dated the basketball players. And I was the girl that wished I was like the basketball players. <laughs> <laughs> She's just doing it for the status. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then I was at Palmer and I ended up getting, um, Marianne Longmore as my coach. And she was the one that coached like Joey and Jeff Pereira and all those guys. And they won a championship when they were in JV. So her and uh, Vicki Burkage were the two female coaches that, um, you know, led them to this championship when they were in the 10th grade. And I thought, this is amazing. Like, you know, like we have this, uh, I have this awesome coach and, uh, she was tough, you know, and you know, when you're a kid, you look at this woman and you just think, oh, she's kind of like an older woman, but she played at like Vic back in her day. So she knew what she was talking about. And she definitely brought like that level of uh, training and kind of like expectation to us as like young kids. And we had a really good team. So um, yeah, being able to play basketball at that level when you're like in the eighth grade and ha kind of have that expectation and other people around you, um, was awesome. And so I was hooked, you know, like I started playing basketball all the time. That's awesome. I, I found it. I've so intriguing talking with everyone, how many people we've met that just had a peer group that they just followed. Right. And it was just like, yeah. wow, there's just a whole bunch of like-minded people that love the same thing as me. And that just like, drew them to it and then they just couldn't get enough you know I, I just i think that's so cool and so powerful right and i i wish we saw it more in kind of our youth just in terms of that gang mentality of wanting to be a part of something and going for it right and and good for you to take the risk to to go to palmer and make yourself uncomfortable early on right it, and not knowing how it was going to go but trusting your instincts and thinking like hey this is what i want to do and having it work out is great. But I think even at a young age to take that risk says a lot about who you were at a, as a person at that age too, right? Yeah. I mean, my parents didn't even understand what we were doing. They just said, yeah. Oh, okay. I guess you want to go to that. So they had like no clue. Right. And, yeah. um, uh, our, that school, I mean, it had teachers and administrators who were like, really invested in basketball. So I think that's another thing too. It's like, you know, you you become a part of a culture of a school that like has that investment in it from like the top down. And so, um, like I remember the principal, um, he would take me to Costco. Like he pulled me out of school so that I could go to Costco to buy like all the treats for like the tournament, you know, like so we could go get all the stuff for the concession stand because we were running the tournaments. And, yeah. uh, you know, he would always take basketball players with him to do all that stuff. And it was great. So I loved it. And, yeah. you know, now I you went to school. Like, uh, <laughs> totally. 50 waiver forms signed to just leave then drive down the road, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, like I went to school with like Lewis, Lewis Johnson was a year older than me and, um, like John Mayen and Hardeep Singh. So they, you know, these are all dudes that played and were good. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know, Palmer was like one of the top feeder schools for Richmond. 
And yeah. like you've mentioned in your podcast before, it's like a junior high eight to 10 school. So, you know, there was, it was a basketball school. And so Matt Anthony and Andy Latchford were my age and Todd Clayman, And you had all these guys who um, were all super competitive. And so that was just kind of what it was like at school. Same with football too, though. Right. Yeah. 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 That's what I was going to mention was that you were, you know, looking at the, the, the era and the time that you were involved in sports in Richmond and like, that's right in the heyday. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. They're, domi they're dominant. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm the oldie. You, yeah. So it was like, you, you gave the year, not me. I wasn't, I was going to leave the year. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, if you and I were standing beside and we polled everyone on Instagram, I'm sure it would be 98 to 2% people like would think that I'm older than you. So, you know, <laughs> you're doing something better than I am. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, then, that, that, and you guys won the junior provincial championship, hey? Yeah. So, you know, back yeah. in the day, you hosted the provincials, right? And so yeah. um, our team, the year before, so the girls above us were also very good. And so we, when you hosted the provincials, you hosted them for two years, right? So it was worthwhile for the school. And yeah. they were very good and they made the provincial finals, but they lost to a team in Prince Rupert or something like that in the finals. So it was the following year that we were hosting again. And uh, I was in the ninth grade because he always had like junior JV was like grade nine, 10. They didn't have a lot of grade nine teams. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we hosted the tournament and we ended up playing Belmont in the final. There was a girl on the team named Carrie Ann Butterworth. I just remember like she was kick butt and uh, the, you know, the whole goal was like to stop her. And uh, yeah, we, we won. I still have the video actually on tape. Uh, actually it's probably like floating around on YouTube somewhere because we digitize everything, but it's so funny. Cause you know, like you obviously have this like idea of yourself and then <laughs> you watch it and you're like, yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I was definitely scrappy. The kids have seen it. And I, you know, I have also this inflated sense of how tall I am because, um, I was this height since I was like in the eighth grade. So I'm five, six and you know, when you're a Filipino girl and even a girl, like when you're five, six, when you're in the seventh and eighth grade, you're tall. Yeah. But, but then I didn't grow any further. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I've always thought I was taller than I am. Like I was always really surprised when I'd see a photo and I was like shorter in the photo than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's, a, you know, as funny as that is, it also gives an idea of your mentality, right? Like just kind yeah. of like it never really crossed your mind that height was going to be an issue for you. You're just like, I'll stick my nose into whatever and, and get no. after it. Right. You know, yeah. so that's and, funny. You know, I, we had really good players on our team, like Dragon and Georgievic and Stacey Stevens. They were both six one and six two. Right. So yeah. like when you're in the 10th grade and you have two girls on your team that are athletic and tall, like, you know, you, you stand to have a really good chance and, you know, dragon, I could have played basketball in the NCAA, but she had chose uh, football or uh, volleyball instead. So mm. yeah, she was very talented and, you know, we relied on her a lot. And then my really good friend, Joanna Babiak, she ended up playing up at SFU. So our team from the time I that I was her. like, I remember Joanna. Yeah. 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 So Holy eighth smokes. grade forward, I think there was yeah. five, yeah, all five of us, we, we ended up playing somewhere like whether it was volleyball or basketball. Crazy. And I think too, the, like you talked about the environment of, of Palmer at that time and like 
now that I've been in the school system and we hosted the uh, the senior girls provincials for volleyball a few years ago. And it's like the schools that apply for those and host those are the ones that care. Right. Cause it's a ton yeah. of work. Like it's crazy. Oh, yeah. So, you know, the, I think that says a lot about the environment that you're in right away and then transitioning into Richmond. Um, you know, I had, you had some great mentor coaches at the junior level and then some success early on. And, um, you know, when you're in grade 11, are you thinking like, Hey, we're going to make a run for this again? Or are you kind of like, let's figure out what senior girls ball is like, or is it like, oh, Hey, we've no, got a chance we and, and we know we do. Yeah. Yeah, no, we knew because, you know, when you have feeder schools, you know who the good one, you know, the good players from the other schools that are going to come to be on your team are, right? Mm -hmm. And so already <laughs> I knew the two girls from Burnett that were going to be on our team that were going to be good. And then we knew that we had our crew from Palmer and then, you know, the one-offs that were coming to play. And so like, oh, there was so much confidence when we were in grade 11 that we were going to win the provincials. So, you know, it was a really nice place to be, but you know, we always had to work really hard for it too, because there was uh, really good teams and really good players in the province at the time. Just like you guys talked about on the men's side, like the women had equally really good players during that time um, on each team, you know, like um, this girl on, um, well, Centennial was one of our rivals. We played them in the finals, like Jackie Valois and um, Wendy Palmer and this other girl, Sandra, she was like six foot five. I, he, this is crazy. I feel like there's a ghost in the room because my brother went to Centennial, right? And I ended up going to Fox. So I was going to say, was it, was her name Sandra Charles? Yes. Sandra yeah, Charles. Right? Yeah. She went to she was huge. She was huge. Yeah. But Jackie Valois was a stud man. Yeah. Stud. We were friends actually for a while because we played provincial together in the summer and we met that way. But um, okay. yeah, she was a stud and she played at SFU too. And yeah. then um, Wendy Palmer played with me at UBC. She was there when I got there. And yeah, uh, yeah so there's really good players. I mean, Kim McLeod and Techie Brown, they both played at SFU as well. And they were on um, a team in Salmon Arm that were just like kick butt, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it was, uh, it was, a, it was a time where, uh, yeah, you had good players in the top, I would say in the top 10 of the teams in the province. But of course, girls basketball has definitely um transformed and i've been so so impressed by the women that play basketball these days you know like the talent oh, so and the level is just insane some of the girls that have come out in the last you know five six seven eight years is like oh my goodness right like yeah it's pretty wild yeah so you beat centennial in the final okay yeah hilarious that is funny yeah and you know our yeah, coach you know my coach was Les Hamaguchi and he's been oh, an iconic coach. Yeah. So okay. he was the guy that like in the summer, he would like pick me up to go play basketball, like at a camp or like, you know, after school, he would like drive and pick us up to go to spring league in Maple Ridge. Like yeah. you always had that coach that was willing to kind of go the extra mile and he lived by Richmond high. So he was like, you know, and he didn't, he wasn't a teacher. He, Actually, he ran Periscope Concert Productions, and that's the only reason why we went on two trips when we were in high school. We went to Arizona and we went to Florida, and it's because we worked all the concerts as like you know selling T-shirts oh. and selling all the stuff. And he, he would give us commission for it, but we would put it towards our basketball program. That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> like so I, good. That that is so cool. And what an easy way to to make that money for you guys, and then take the stress off families having to pay money, right? And and do that so. Oh yeah. Win, I think our trip to Florida that. was like $150. It was like, 
$150 to go to Florida for like Christmas. We went like we'd left on Boxing Day and we came back like two days after New Year's. Yeah. Awesome. Um, <laughs> it was so good. We've done the, yeah, we've done the Maui a couple of times and just, I didn't mean, you know, you've, you played a long time. And so, you know, the road trips are so fun, right? It's such a great time and that's where the bonds and memories are made. Right. And it's so fun. Um, oh, yeah. I've never heard anyone say a bad word about Les as well. Like what a, you know, I, I don't know him great, but what I do know of him, just an amazing individual. Oh, like, you know, for somebody and I, you know, I was trying to think of back about how old he was, you know, like when you're in high school, you just think everybody who's older than you is old, right? But he must have been like, he must have been in his like mid 30s, early 40s when he was our coach. And like, he invested all of his time, like, just doing stuff for our team. And like, you know, um, whether it was like opening up the gym or like driving us to our spring league practices or like, you know, making sure that we had jobs so that we could like have this money so that we could travel. Like he was fantastic. And so, um, he was great. And the one thing I loved about Les is because, you know, like, sure, maybe he didn't play basketball that much when he was in high school. And, you know, sometimes I always think, you know, girls get like the raw end of the deal sometimes when it comes to like the coaching, because it's like, Oh, here you coach the girls team, you know? Um, but Les was somebody who like invested time in understanding the game and like knowing the game and, you know, like, um, always, um, making himself better as a coach. And I was obviously not the easiest girl to coach. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us why Trixie. (laughs) I, uh, had very strong opinions (laughs) and, um, and actually when I was in the eighth grade, um, my, my coach, Marianne, she, she would always do this review with us at the end of the season. And she took me aside and she just said, you know, Trixie, you know, this game and you are super competitive and you're tough. She's like, but you got to figure out how to communicate better with your teammates. Cause like, you know, I was like that kid would be like, what are you doing? You know, Mm -hmm. screaming and yelling up and down the court. And I was the point guard. So, you know, you have to, you know, do a better job of obviously like involving your teammates and anyone who played with me, knows my personality right and so mm-hmm. yeah it could be like the one that's like too tough on somebody or like um you know riding them too much um and mm-hmm. as you got older you got better at it obviously right but like in the mm-hmm. moment when you're a fiery kid and you're competitive it's like yeah <laughs> you know those kids because i coach those kids and i'm sure you've coached those kids and so when i see that in other kids i laugh but i definitely mm-hmm. know how to like dial it back right mm-hmm I, um, and it, I was kind of an, I was kind of a dick in high school too, to my teammates. Like I, I just, like, I just, I just wanted to, like I just, it took me so long in adult life to like, just back off of that, you know? Um, uh-huh. yeah. but, I, but I find it interesting that, that the person who pulled you aside said like, they didn't try to change you though. They just said, you got to learn how to communicate better. Right. So yeah, they, they, yeah. they appreciated who you were and what you brought to the table and, and that you're fiery and that you want, but it was like, Hey, not, not, I'm not trying to change you, but what can we do to kind of just make it a like, little bit better out. at times. Right. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's huge. Well, and, and when you're in high school or what, when does it come to you that, um, cause you obviously, if you're playing on a team, that's a provincial champion or a contender, you're playing all the best teams. You're playing in all the big games. You're seeing all the best players. And when are you starting to think in the back of your mind, like I, I, I want to move on with this and and pursue it in the post-secondary level. 
Um, I don't think I really seriously thought about it until I was at, um, in grade 11 and, you know, our team was very good. And mm -hmm. I thought to myself, like, this is something that I think I want to do after like continue playing sports, like into college. And, you know, at the time I was dating Brian scales. <laughs> so, you know, he was a competitive fiery. I mean, talk about wow. like somebody who like, <laughs> Talk about somebody like we would play basketball in his front oh. yard and he would show me all the moves, you know, like, okay, when you're going up for a jump ball, you know, put your elbow here and, you know, yeah. like when you're going up for a layup, you know, put your hand over here. So, yeah. um, yeah, yeah when you say moves, you don't mean like, uh, you no. don't mean the slice or the pro hop. You mean like where to elbow people in the face at the, and not get caught for it. <laughs> Yes. So, so um, <laughs> he was uh, super competitive and had um, post-secondary goals. And so, you know, as somebody who was in grade 11 and he was a year older than me, I could see like the trajectory of what he was thinking of doing. And I thought to myself, hey, man, I think I can play you know, after high school too, like I would really like to play, um, basketball and continue on as well. And so, um, that was like, kind of like the first time that got put in my head and, you know, I didn't, even though I grew up in Richmond, I didn't get, um, I didn't get, uh, exposed to the dolphin park tournament until I was in grade 11 and 12, because that's when I moved to that side of Richmond, <laughs> you know, like that's when I was like on the other side of Richmond, where you'd actually go into and meet people who were in that tournament. And so, um, yeah, that was a huge thing too, just to be able to like, see how cool that was. And, um, I would practice at dolphin park, my free throw, you know, like I would, you know, find a court to go and play at. And so when I was in college, when I would be at the free throw line, like, I would say to myself, dolphin inside my head before I take the shot. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. It was like my little like mantra so that I knew I could make the, make the free throw shot. But yeah, you know, you start to think about post-secondary and then you think about, and back then it wasn't like, um, now where you're always thinking about like, I'm going to get a scholarship. It yeah. was kind of like, <laughs> where can I play? Right. And, yeah. um, I did get a chance to play provincial team um, in my grade. It was grade eight or nine. No, in grade nine, I got hit by a car when I was in school. <laughs> and so I missed the, uh, I missed the tryouts and stuff like that because of my um, injury. But uh, I ended up playing on like, um, okay. So there was a provincial team and that back then they had like an A and a B team. And yeah. uh when you did those camps, you had to sleep like at like BCIT or UBC for a week. And then you like did That's the right. camp and then they like chose the team. Right. Yeah. And so, um, at the time the Maple Ridge coach, Cindy Thomas was the head coach. And then Steve Pettifer was like the other coach. And then, you know, uh, we, like I told you, there was really good players in the province. And so, you know, you're picking like two teams and, um, I ended up getting put on the B team, which, you know, I took it okay, but, yeah. you know, I did look over to the side and go, oh, why are there four Maple Ridge girls on the A team, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so part of you is like, mm -hmm. this is when you're, my brain started being like, yes, there's something to be said for this, right? And, uh, yeah. <laughs> but whatever, I took it on the chin and I was just excited to play, uh, you know, like at that level anyways, so uh, back then they still had tournaments for like the B team and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, enjoyed that experience. But, uh, when I graduated, uh, eight 
SFU recruited, and back then SFU was NAIA, so they could actually offer scholarships. Mm-hmm. And they had like, they took like seven guards or something that year, like two forwards and like six guards or whatever. And so, you know, I was like, well, okay. So I didn't get recruited, but I was like, I know there's an opportunity to play. And of course, because I was dating Brian at the time, he was at Langara and he was like, look, you can play at Langara. It's like, if you want to play post-secondary, just come and play at Langara because, you know, there's an opportunity for you here. And I was waiting to get into UBC, but I thought, he actually talked me into going to Langara because he said, you're going to pay less money and you get to play and you, look, you're going to get, it's a stepping stone. You'll probably start. So he actually is the one that convinced me to go to Langara instead. And so, yeah, he was like, you know what, I'm going to go. And so, um, I decided to like sign up and go to Langara. And at the time they still didn't have a women's coach. And like uh-huh. I said, I always felt like they, we were afterthoughts, you know, like yeah. the women's program always seemed to be the afterthought. And so I don't know who the coach was previously, but when I got there, it was a new coach and this guy walked in and this is how much of an impact he made on me. I can't even remember his last name. I think his name was Wes. I'm pretty sure his name was Wes. Maybe that was the second year. See, I can't even remember. There's two different coaches my two years at Langara. One guy named one guy, one guy, his name is Rob. Can't remember mm-hmm. his last name. And the other Ooh. guy was Wes. Sorry, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the impact they made was huge. Mm-hmm. And uh uh the you know, but there was good competitive players from um my high school and from around town and Um, it gave me an opportunity to like kind of do the next level thing. And I really, um, you know, enjoyed it, even though it was kind of, um, you know, not what I had expected it to be initially. Right. Like, you know, you don't really Mm -hmm. know what to expect. Um, but it was great. Like, you know, we did travel and, you know, I met Kevin and the, and, uh, Perry Scarlett was the men's coach. And so I would spend time watching like their practices sometimes too, and seeing what they were doing. Um, and then, you know, of course, um, the players that were on my team, um, I had known them through high school and, um, through other avenues. I met some other new girls, my one really good friend, Rochelle, she was from Terrace. And so she was like very competitive. And another girl that I played against who I really, um, respected as a player, she was very good. Um, she came from Siakam and she was on our team too. So I really enjoyed like that experience, um, with them too. Right. And, it was actually the year that I started playing street basketball, you know, like I hadn't played like at Kitts beach before, or I hadn't played like in pickup games, um, around town. And I started doing that, um, the year that I started playing at Langara, like in the summer, I would go down to Kitts beach and stand there and call game like anybody else would. Right. (laughs) And wait. Um, and, um, Barnaby was on that team and him and I dated in at Langara. So he was like that rep ball basketball player that would take me everywhere. We went to like the justice Institute and we went to Bonzer and we went to like Kitts community center. And then he'd be like, (laughs) you call game and I'll call game so that we both had like, in case somebody lost. (laughs) (laughs) Like if we didn't win that game that we had had the next two. So it was good. And so, um, those are the girls that would like come. Oh, he was so good. Although Kevin didn't like his shot. <laughs> and then he ended up being like top scorer. Yeah, in like Canada West. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, or yeah. Langara was. 
Yeah, he ended up like being, I think he had like, yeah, he was like their uh, leading scorer for the team for sure. And Jakey was on the team. And um, uh, so Andy and Matt were on the team that year too. And then Mm -hmm. Navi was on the team, I think my second year there. Same with Novell. So that's how we all became kind of like good buddies, right? Like you meet and travel together. So the women and men's team always travel together. And that's the one thing about basketball that I thought was really awesome is because you know, like the games are set where you get to kind of watch the men's team or, you know, vice versa. Well, nobody ever watched the girls games, let's face it. But we, uh, <laughs> we certainly got to travel together. Put some sad music in there. Yeah, <laughs> some sad music. <laughs> oh, God. Barnaby told me once that when he was coaching at Brandon that he did not allow the men's team to watch the girls game before because they were just building their program and they were not good. <laughs> and he didn't want them to have that in their psyche. And I was like, what? <laughs> That's that's dark. Maybe That's we funny. shouldn't. Maybe we shouldn't put that on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, you know, uh, you're I right, do though. recognize. I've never thought yeah. of it from that perspective. But those road trips were fun. You know, you taking the bus to Prince George or the island or whatever, right? And you're just around each other, and it's like a, it becomes a little mini family kind of. And I, Murr was there when I was at Langara, right? And oh, you know, right. so like. Yeah. So like we were, they were always, you know, we were always hanging out and having fun and those are, those are great times. Yeah. That league was fun. It was a good transition league, right? It's a super good transition league. And you know, I say to all the kids that I've coached and, and, and kids that I talk to, if you're invested in playing post-secondary basketball, right. And a scholarship doesn't come knocking on your door. Don't have the ego that you can't play at like a junior college and get yourself better because if you love the game enough you will find a way you know like you will find a way to play and maybe you only stay at the junior college level but hello how many people get that opportunity to play after high school anyways and the experience is something that you can never take away i mean the times that we had the fun that we had you know Mm -hmm. and which is what we've always talked about is like the relationships and the fun times the locker room the practices like all that stuff is so the experience is so worth it, you know, that you won't get anywhere else. It's like, yeah. you know, when you graduate into life, you know, you don't get that, ta- <laughs> you don't get that back. Yeah, no, it's so true. Um, and clearly with the, the, there was no impact from the coaching. So <laughs> <laughs> shout out Wes. It's so... <laughs> <laughs> and Rob, wherever you are. And then, <laughs> And then, so you, you're at Langara for, for two years. And then yeah, how does UBC come around? Is it, are you kind of pushing it? Or are they recruiting you or, you know, I'm, I'm um, assuming that by your, at least by your second year Langara, you're probably, you're starting and you're playing a ton of minutes and, you know, you're ready to move on. Are you, do you know what you want to do academically too? Or are you still just sort of having fun and hooping? Yeah, I wasn't really concerned about the academic portion. I was more about like, let's whatever courses I can take so that I can be eligible. And I I kind of just moved towards psychology because it was interesting. You know, yeah. didn't want to write papers for English, you know, those kinds of things. <laughs> but I, um, I wanted to go to UBC and I really wanted to play for UBC. And I'm 
I'm pretty sure I wasn't heavily recruited from Langara, but mm. um, I knew that the UBC program was kind of in a transitional phase and um, there was a spot for sure on the team. So um, I kind of inquired about like open gyms and like, could I, you know, like what's the situation? And, you know, I got kind of hooked up to one of the girls open gyms. And so um, I went and I knew a girl from high school that was on the team. And uh, well, I knew a few girls on the team that were from through high school, but, um, the one closest in age to me, she was a little, she was one year younger than I was. She was on the team and I knew that she was very good. And, um, when I went to the open gym and played, I was like, yeah, I can play here. You know, like at Langara, yeah. I, I knew I could play at Langara. I, I always started, like, I, I always say to my kids, you know, I've started on every single team that I've ever played on. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the only reason why I say that to them is because it's like, you know, you kind of feel like maybe I wasn't the highest scorer or, you know, any of those right. things, but you can start on any team when you have intangibles underneath your belt. So I was the point guard and I was the one that played defense. And I was the one that was like, you know, on the floor when there was a loose ball. So, um, there's always a space for you on the court when you can, you know, put yourself in a position where you're needed. Right. And so when I went out to UBC, I was like, yeah, you know what, I can play here for sure. And, um, you know, Misty Thomas, who was the coach at the time, um, she was kind of like her, her vibe to me was like very like competitive, but she was like, um, she, she knew what she wanted and I had conversations with her and she was pretty matter of fact. And it was like the first time that I was like, since high school that I was like, okay, sweet. Like this is a, like a, the real deal. Right. And so I was really invested in wanting to play for UBC. And then, um, you know, I did the tryouts and whatnot. And I was kind of like nervous. Cause I was hoping, you know, like, you know, am I going to get, is she going to take me? Like, is she going to, you know, I'm pretty much kind of like a walk on and yeah, she kind of casually, you know, said to me afterwards, like, yeah, you're definitely going to be on the team. And I was like, sweet. <laughs> so, you know, from that point forward, it was like, yeah, I was invested in, um, making sure that, you know, I was, you know, keeping up with the girls and, and coming to the workouts and Misty was like a really, to me, she was like an anomaly because like I hadn't been around a woman who was, uh, she was young still at the time and she would come into practice and shoot around and like, you know, she'd call you, like she'd say, okay, let's go play one-on-one. -on -one. And she like basically call where she was going to take the shot from and she could make it, you know, <laughs> like she could school us. She played for, um, she played for the running rebels. Hey, when she was in college and she got her Jersey retired. Like, I think she was like the first female to ever have her Jersey retired. She was really good friends with like Jerry Tarkanian. Damn. And, uh, I know. Uh, and she was like the youngest woman to play on the national team. I think, um, Holy smokes. Uh, I think she was like 16 and she played for the Canada national team. Crazy. Yeah. So, you know, having a woman like that to kind of like, you know, guide you and she, sure. She, there was like, um, you know, there's always mixed reviews sometimes when you're a young competitive coach. Um, and then unfortunately she didn't get her contract renewed after my first year. And I was like, Oh, you know, like mm. pretty, pretty, um, you know, devastated by it in a, in a way, because like, uh, her and I, our personalities really jived, but, um, obviously I didn't know all the history behind, you know, why she wouldn't have her contract renewed or not. And I wasn't really a part of that, but I was playing um, touch football at the time 
with um, my teammate Tiffany and Deb Hubang was on the team and she was our quarterback. No way. And that, yeah. So, you know, I'm like this like 21 year old, I'm quick. And like, they bring me on the team as a rusher and like, I'm playing for Mara Lomez and, you know, I'm meeting all these like women who are in their forties and, <laughs> you know, Deb's the one of the quarterbacks and, you know, like I come to know her as like, um, this woman that used to play basketball and she used to play for the national team. And, you know, she was working as like a, um, I think she was working as like an SLP or something like that, but she was just, you know, to me, one of my teammates. And then I came to practice and I was like, Missy got fired, you know? And, uh, she, we were talking about like whether or not she was going to apply for the job. And then she, yeah, she was right on it. And even though she hadn't been coaching for a little while, I think, you know, I think that that was something that she'd always wanted to go back into. And, um, I was one of the players on the board, like on this, um, they had like a, like a, I guess it was like an interview board. So they had like the AD and they had like a couple other coaches and then players for the hiring of the coach. Like, not that they ever would take our opinion. Like (laughs) I'm sure we just were sitting there as part of it, but I think it was me and, um, maybe it was Tiffany. Anyways, we, there was two of us, I got to sit in the interviews and Ross Tomlinson was one of the, one of the candidates because he was the men's assistant coach at the time and Deb and then one other coach. Um, and then Deb got the job. So literally I was on her team when she won her first game ever in U sports. And when she won her 350 something game and they gave her an award, I was at the game and I got to like do the recognition with her. Mm-hmm. It was super cool. cool. Cause yeah. Cool. Cause it's like, yeah, she's uh, been there forever. Right. And like, when you think about how much she's done for that program, it's incredible. Totally. Does it make you feel old that you're <laughs> the yeah. first win? Yeah. <laughs> totally. I was like, Oh my gosh. I'm like what, your first ever win. <laughs> like I was on that team. <laughs> it's so funny though, how, uh, one, like things come around for people like Deb's situation and just getting the job. And then now look, however many years later, she, you know, still doing it, but also you, you know, being really st- stuck and kind of drawn to Misty. Right. And then you're like devastated. Then all of a sudden you get this like hall of famer who happens to yeah. take over the program from there. It's like, it's funny how things just fall in line, you know? Yeah. And, you know, Deb, like, because I knew her as like my teammate on like a football team, like we went to nationals for teammate for um, our, our touch football, like we were good. So we flew to like Ontario and we played. And um, so I knew her on a different level before she became my coach. And so um, for me, it was like this, you know, comfort of having this woman that I respected. And I, like, I knew well on a different level, but that she was coming in as a coach and um, totally different personality, obviously than Misty, but um, at the same time, um, so much knowledge and so, you know, like so good at what she, she, you know, the game. And so um, obviously through time, she's developed into like this amazing coach, but even from the get go, she had all this experience behind her, you know? Yeah, no doubt. That's awesome. That's funny. I just how that connection <laughs> happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I then know. you're, you're in your bio, you're obviously still a little bit salty that you didn't get the wild card to Nats the one year. Um, tell us a little bit about that. You know, he made the Canada West finals was, uh, was the Vic women's program pretty strong, um, during those years. Oh yeah. 
the Vic yeah. program was like the program that, um, you know, Kathy, Kathy Shields. Kathy Shields. Yeah. 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 She was at the top of her coaching career and like, she just had the recruits come in right from the Island. And I'd say every year, uh, well, well, the three years that I played at UBC, UVic came out of Canada West. And back then they never took like a Canada West second place team. Like, you know, Canada West was structured very differently back then. We only had us, Vic, Calgary, Alberta, and uh, Lethbridge and Sask in our division. So we played each other twice. We flew home and away. We had 20 game season. And if you didn't win Canada West to get a wild card out of the West to play in nationals was like nearly impossible. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> even though we had like the best back half of the season where we went 10 and 0, you know, like we went 10 and 0 in the back half of that part of the season, we still never got it, you know? And so, yeah, I was unfortunate. I would have loved to have a national, um, you know, experience at that level. But um, at the same time, you know, being a part of a university program and being able to um, be around athletes at that level and staff and, you know, you know, I got to know your brother really well during that time too, right? Like your brother yeah. was the manager for the men's team. And like I said, we traveled together as a team. And so we did stuff on like, you know, after our game Saturday, Sunday, we had, you know, we were treated as not like kids in high school. Like we were allowed to go out and do what we wanted as long as, you know, like you were responsible and you made the plane the next day. Yeah. Just so, had to be on the bus in the morning, right? Yeah. Be at the bus in the morning. And so <laughs> yeah. we, yeah, we had a lot of fun together and we really got to know each other really well. And so, um, that is again, the experience, right? So yeah, we didn't win a national, we didn't get with nationals and we didn't win a Canada West title, but, um, uh, I wouldn't take any of that experience like away. Like I wouldn't change much of that at all because it was fun. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it was something that, uh, I say like relish in it, right. Even in high school, like we won a JV ch championship and a, you know, and a varsity championship and not a lot of schools get to do that or our people. And when we won the varsity championship, we, I was at Richmond high and the men won the same year too. So it was the only year that the women and the men's team won from the same school. Yeah. That's crazy. And, and I don't think it's been done since like Bill Disbro was my like high school social studies teacher, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> Our classes were amazing. We talked about yeah. basketball. We talked about cars. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure you got a good grade too. You're a hooper. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. And it was like, oh, read this chapter. Test tomorrow. What? <laughs> uh, good old faithful. You can but, always rely on the textbook, right? Yeah, totally. So, um, yeah, all the experiences when you play in a team and you get to have those things happen is, uh, yeah, you remember that the most, you remember the relationships and the people along the way for sure. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, UBC was no different and I wish that I had like even one more year to play at UBC, you know, like I wish that the, I could have gotten one extra year. Yeah. 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 One less year with Wes and uh, one more, <laughs> one, one more year with the birds. <laughs> oh man. It's, it's comical sometimes that uh, you come across people yeah. that you're like, how are you a coach? <laughs> <laughs> bang, bang, shots fired. <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, so you mentioned a little bit like, 
you were hoping to have an opportunity to play over in the Philippines, but it just didn't pan out and you end up going over there anyways. But um, when did, when did coaching start to, to form in your mind as well? Uh, and you know, there's some of the names that you've mentioned that you've been able to play for, and then some of the, the women that you played with, like you were just exposed to high levels of thinking like so many different times, right? Like the amount of yeah, knowledge definitely. that, you know, never mind your own skill set too, but just the people around you teaching you the game too is, is crazy. Yeah. And that, I think that's the thing that sometimes like, um, people forget, right? Like when you've been able to play at a higher level and you get exposed to that kind of level of coaching, um, you, you have that experience through them as well and through their eyes. And, uh, when we were in at UBC, we coached, um, we got to coach bird ball. Like, uh, that was where you went into the community in the morning and you would like coach at a high, like an elementary school. So cool. actually, Kenny and I were partners in it and we would go in the mornings and Kenny Morris and we would go to like a school in Vancouver and we would like roll out the UBC basketballs and we would like do a skills camp and that kind of stuff. Right. And then in this off season, we coached a few of the UBC camps. So like I, I always knew that I was going to coach to some degree. Like when I was in high school as a player, and I think naturally when you're a point guard, you like give a lot of direction and you see the game in a, in a certain way sometimes, and you just want to be a part of that. So mm -hmm. I kind of always knew that I was going to coach to some capacity, but then, you know, life happens. And, um, you know, John and I moved to the Philippines for him. So he played basketball mm -hmm. there and, right. um, we were there for like three years and, um, when we came home, you know, we had, we had two kids uh, right away, mm -hmm. three kids right away. And the next thing you know, it's like, you know, I'm stay at home mom, you know, John's working full time. So yeah. there's not a ton of extra space for other things. But once right. my little guy started kindergarten, you know, you start to be involved in their school. And uh, I was at like one of the pack meetings and they said, well, we're, we're having a really hard time finding a girl's coach this year. So we might have to forego it and just go with the boys team. And I was like, no, what? No. Mm -hmm. I was like, wait a minute. I was like, that doesn't make sense. And I was like, you know what? I'm around. I'll coach the girls team. If there's a teacher that's willing to stick around after school. And so, yeah. uh, yeah, I mean, it was the first, I, you know, I didn't hesitate because I was like, this is not right. And, uh, and I have time. Mm -hmm. So I started coaching at their elementary school and, <laughs> you know, for, okay. First of all, it's like public school elementary, right? So yeah. everybody's, there's no cutting of kids, right? Whoever yeah. shows up and it's a small school. So it's not like I had tons of numbers of kids, but whoever shows up, they play. And my mm -hmm. first practice, I, like I made a practice plan, you know, like I had a practice <laughs> plan. Because I, was, I was used to like having a practice plan and I'm walking into like grade six, seven elementary school. And these girls are wearing leggings Jeez, and a hoodie. Yeah. And, yeah. And their hair's down. And I was like, uh, are you guys going to change for like practice? And they were like, what? And they're wearing like mm -hmm. kids, you know, like no basketball yeah. shoes. So then I was like, okay, hold up. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. To, Needle on the record. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I kind of like gave them a little lesson of like, when you play sports, you kind of have to like look the part. So you have to put shorts on, put your hair in a ponytail and wear athletic clothing. <laughs> but so, you know, and then Do obviously we dare I talk to, about like, how that season went or. <laughs> well, you know what? All, all it takes when you have an elementary girls team is two players on your team. that are good. And right. maybe one. And I had, yeah 
one that was very good and one that was okay. So, you know, I taught them like plays and I made them do all this stuff. And like in elementary, you're not even allowed to like, you can't leave your check. You have to have your hand like right near your check. So right. you always have to be there. So I capitalized on that. And yeah, we ended up going to like the finals of like the McNair Just run tournament. On the <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I'd call Just like clearing stack out. right. Yeah. Total yeah. clear. It's like stack right, stack left. <laughs> Girls got like 35 of their 37 after the game. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. I was always like, get Melissa the ball. Give it to Melissa. <laughs> so good. But um, after that season, and it was very short, right? Um, this girl mm-hmm. wrote me a letter and she, she was in grade seven. She didn't know me very well, but she wrote me this long letter and she told me like how it was like the best experience of her life. And she had so much fun and like, thank you for taking all the time. And I was like, Oh, like, that's cool. Right. Like you just don't yeah. expect like that. You've made that kind of like an impact on this like girl who would barely put her hair up. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you kind of get the bug for that and you remember yourself at that age and then you, you know, when you have three kids in three and a half years, <laughs> there's a lot of uh, activity at your house. And so yes. John and I were both like super like, you know, active with the kids. And, you know, we made a pact that they were not going to play hockey because neither of us would get up that early to go to practice. <laughs> and, and it was too expensive and we only had one income. So we were like, forget that. Yeah. <laughs> so we definitely did the basketball thing and started coaching the Steve Nash like Friday night skills um, development program for like five to 10 year olds or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so when we started doing that, they, and it was the one program in the community that if you coached, you didn't have to pay for your kid. So we were like, Oh yeah, we're, we're, we're doing that. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So it's so funny because in that program, we had like Jason Leslie's kids were at the school, like in the program And um, Paul Jones, his daughter, Jessica, who plays at SFU, she was there too. And so like we had John and Paul and Jason Leslie, (laughs) like in this little school at Debec coaching, we were coaching like skills camp for like little five and six year olds. And like when John coached, she was like all business, right? Like Jason Leslie would be like, sweet. I don't have to do any of this. John also had his own little practice plan. And he had the kids going like as if we were at UBC doing like defensive slides and stuff, right? <laughs> you know, foot fire, foot fire drills, foot fire drills and all this stuff. So it was a lot of fun. And I mean, again, you had to put all the kids through that. So like we coached that probably for like seven years. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. And then John started that program with Eric Butler um, at the Arbutus Club split, split second. second. Yeah. Yeah. And so they started coaching that. And um, because John wasn't a member at the Arbutus Club, our kids were not allowed to go to their the skills camps on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So, you know, John couldn't take his own kids. So then (laughs) it was like left to me to like do stuff with them. And then uh, I got a job at UBC or at Vancouver College as an EA. Uh, So, um, uh, when I finally saw the light at the end of the tunnel and I can escape the, the, the home life with my kids, I took the chance <laughs> and I got myself a job <laughs> and uh, like a day job just to get the heck out of the house. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> 
And I was uh, in a grade five classroom. And at the time, Jack was in the fifth grade. And so I said I would help coach that basketball team. And then the next year, I coached the grade six team. And then I got asked to coach the grade eight team. And um, yeah, from that point on, I've always coached at the school. And I've been a huge believer in development, like, you know, um, teaching the kids the right way, giving them like proper instruction from the get go and um, giving them like as much like real instruction as possible that they can take away. Right. Even if they take one or two things away from it. Um, and so I really enjoyed coaching grade eight. I think like at VC, you get to have two teams, like not a lot of schools have two teams, but it being an all boys school, we made sure that we had like 20. So every year I coached like 25, 26 kids. And it was awesome because I got a, a chance to coach with like, you know, awesome dudes. Right. So you know, your boy, Jared Power, when he came to VC to teach for a little while, even though he's like, I'm not super versed in, in basketball, he was willing to come on board and coach. Yeah. And um, you have really good, you know, people behind you. My buddy Dante, you know, from Ontario, he coached. And it's nice to have like a balance of personalities. And obviously, you know, for me too, I think it was really important for young boys to see that you can have like a strong female coach and she knows what she's talking about. And also that like, it doesn't matter the gender of your coach, as long as like the investments there. And I think that, 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 um, to the boys credit, it's always been true. Like I've never had boys say like, Oh, I have a girl coach or what have you. I just always found it interesting that like, it was actually the outside people that when you coach at a boys school, you know, when I, go to games and mo every single assistant coach I've had has been a man, right? Like a, a male coach. And they've always walked by me <laughs> and talked to the male coach first until right. the referees kind of knew who I was. Right. Cause they always right. assumed that it was the man. Even if I'm sitting in the head coaching chair, even yeah. if I'm standing there, you know, with the board, they'll still yeah. ask, you know, and walk past you. Now, mind you, that was in the beginning. And so once, you know, referees kind of like knew who I was and some of them knew who I was from high school and whatnot, but, um, or at UBC, you know, you get good relationships with them just like anything, right? Like Karn and yeah. I are pretty good buddies, even though I can yell and heckle him on the side. <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah. So you, you just kind of like start to change the way that sometimes people see, you know, female coaching in a boy's uh, division. And I think, you know, like, you know, sometimes moms from the other teams or dads from the other teams will come up to me after games and say things like, Oh, you've done a really good job. Or like your team's really good. And sometimes I think, is that condescending? Like, or is that like, <laughs> uh, just, um, you know, like them understanding that like, Oh yes, women actually are capable of like coaching at a high level and coaching boys who are good players too. Right. Cause obviously yeah. I have good talent on my team. So it's not like, you know, I created these guys they are, they're talents in their own right. And it's just making, you know, like the right decisions with them and, you know, guiding them to be good players. You know, I think anybody that I've ever coached, you know, would describe my personality as being, you know, pretty tough, really. But I think, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that you'd have to be right. Like, yeah, absolutely. Listening to you talk makes me think of, um, when I was at Langara, uh, we played Dawson college from Quebec in the national final. They had a women, uh, female coach, um, yeah. Olga, and she was like tough as nails, man. And the kids absolutely adored her, like loved her. <laughs> Right. Like I remember one night we were going back to our room and she had the whole team doing push-ups in the hall or whatever. I, I don't know why. And they were speaking in French, but 
she was giving it to them, right? Like they, they, they absolutely loved her. And that was one of the points I was going to bring up was if, if not this year, hopefully this year, but if it doesn't work out, like how cool it'll be for like you and Murr to be kind of co-coaching the varsity boys at Vancouver college, like at an all boys school. Like I think that's pretty powerful in itself, you know? Yeah, I mean, she definitely has, like, the head coaching billing and, you know, me coming on as, like, the coach with, like, Ethan and Doug. Um, I think it's, like, you know, for us, we, we've we treated it always like a strong unit of coaching. Like, nobody's ego is, like, above the other. Like, we take each other's feedback. And I think that, you know, at Vancouver College, we've done this thing on Mondays where we've kind of done team camp where all the kids practice at the same time together. And we do it in, like, you know, little rotations to, to kind of, like, mm-hmm. hear the ear of other coaches as well. And obviously, yeah. like, Lloyd's, like, the void of Lloyd is big, right? He's big shoes to fill in terms of just, like, a diversity program at a school like VC. But, you know, the fact that the the school gives that kind of opportunity is um, telling. And um, yeah, it's about like the ability to, um, you know, you know, you, you don't have to do all the things that the boys can do. Like, obviously I can't jump like the boys can jump and uh, my athleticism isn't anywhere near theirs, but I know the game, you know, like, and. Uh, have you ever seen Richie Chambers shoot? <laughs> Freaking the ugliest, the nastiest, like the guy has no idea how to play basketball, right? Like. So, yeah, it's uh it's, yeah, gender yeah. skill doesn't have anything to do with it really, right? It's can you connect with your who you're coaching and and do you know what you're doing when the when the ball goes up, right? Oh my, did Richie ever tell you but uh, well, Richie and I have a good relationship, but like, you know, him coaching JV and me coaching JV, we've had some like heated words, right? I bet. But heated yeah. words, but afterwards, you know, like we hug and we laugh. But yeah, of course. uh in, in the uh, provincial quarterfinals, right? They were up on us and uh, we came back and we took that game. But like, I think it was like five minutes left in the game. He was like whining and moaning about some like ref, like not calling calls on one of my guys. I think it was Jacob, our big guy. And I just looked over at him and I just started laughing. I was just like, you know, that that's so not correct. And I was like saying something like that. We're not in those words. <laughs> and he started walking t- <laughs> He started walking towards me and I started walking towards him and we were kind of like yelling at each other. And then the referee came between us like, no, you can't do this. <laughs> and then I just walked away and I threw my hand at him like, you don't even know what you're talking about. And I was like, you know, I'm right. You know, I'm right. <laughs> after the game, we just hugged and started laughing. Yeah. Because we know sure. that, you know, like when you're a coach and you're, you know, passionate about the team and the game, you know, you're just doing your best for your players. Um, yeah. And it's not personal, you know, it's, it's super not personal. Um, so yeah, afterwards, if you could kind of like laugh and, and joke about it, it's great. Yeah, that's awesome. I wish we had that on camera somewhere. It, it probably is because I think Howard Samara wrote an article about it. Did he? Um, and, <laughs> yeah. and uh, you know, and I have to say like, too, like the other coaches in the league, you know, when, once you've, you know, you've been in the league for a little while and you've coached against the same guys and whatnot, like, like super respectful and like really nice guys. And, you know, like um, when uh, I was coaching grade eight, uh, Goulet was also always awesome with me and we'd always have really good chats and, you know, he'd always be yeah. very complimentary and have good conversations. And so, you know, uh, yeah, it's, it's great. I think it's great for the game when there's that kind of diversity. Good Lad Clothing is the most unique shopping experience in the Lower Mainland. The owner, Shane Meyer, has worked hard to create a personal experience, offering clothing, specialized coffee, haircuts, and beard trims. 
Located in Lower Lonsdale at 221 West Esplanade in North Vancouver, seconds from the C-Bus. If you are unable to make it to the store, you can shop online at shopthefoldgroup.com. And oh yeah, in-store, if you mention a Hoops Journey, you'll receive 15% off anything store-wide. We want to take a moment and thank our sponsor, Parkside Brewery. Located in the heart of Port Moody on Brewers Row, Parkside offers an amazing atmosphere with one of the best summer patios around. If you can't make it to the brewery located at 2731 Murray Street, then hit any government retail store and try the Don Pilsner, the Dusk Pale Ale, or my favorite, the Dreamboat Hazy IPA. A Hoops Journey promises that the beer at Parkside is much, much, much better than the owner, Sam Payne's streaky jump shot. We hope to see you Parkside. I want to ask you a question before we move to, uh, you know, the real questions. Um, <laughs> you know, a family, obviously, with like a rich basketball tradition, you got three boys that are super into the game. And just wondering, like, as a parent of, you know, how much how much of their desire for basketball came from you guys and how much of it came from them? I'm, I'm just I'm just curious from a, you know, parent who's wondering what you know how much when Eli's old enough do I want to put on him and how much do I want for him to come from himself you know and I'm just just wondering what your thoughts are with that or was it just because like you guys jumped into Steve Nash league and they were just in the gym every day and it sort of snowballed from there (laughs) uh that's a good question I mean obviously Hmm. you know that John Dumont was my husband who passed away four years ago and Hmm. you know John uh, his his passion and his desire. And I mean, he would have been his own Hoops Journey podcast for sure. The yeah, uh, experiences yeah. that he had with the people that he had. And I know that he's been mentioned in a few of the podcasts already. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he, he just, uh, he loved the game so much. And um, when he had an opportunity to play professionally um, overseas, he took it, even though it meant that maybe he was missing out on the national team experience. But uh, he always had that desire for like the kids to hopefully love it too. And mm-hmm. you know, uh, who you know, like we obviously having three boys um, in three and a half years was it the the, the planning that you, you have as a parent <laughs> just <laughs> <laughs> happens without any planning. Um, yeah. But uh, being like the the people that the two of us are you know, John had always been a really um, active guy and super involved when the kids were little and he always did stuff with them. Right. And so it wasn't like always basketball focused, but it was always just like coordination stuff. Right. Like he'd always like play with them at the playground and make them do all these cool things. And, and of course we had like lots of basketballs around the house and little hoops and that kind of stuff. And, you know, you hope that they gravitate towards it. And of course, you know, John's out in the yard and I mean, we have it on video. So it's not like, you know, it's for sure true. Like he's standing out there, you know, the kids have the little tykes hoop and they're holding balls in their hand that are too big for them. And like, he's showing them shooting form and they're kind of like lined up and shooting in the yard. Right. And so, uh, they were exposed to that sport in particular 
from a young age. And of course they played other things like baseball and like Jack played, I think ball hockey and football was big. You know, like I, I love the fact that all my boys have played football all the way up until grade 10 um, competitively and done well in that sport um, soccer and all those things. But uh, I think that when your family dynamics is such that John and I are playing like two on, you know, like two on three in the yard with the kids a lot when they're little, and then you, you keep playing it, you know, and you, and then you see your dad, like, so when John, when the kids were really little, like, I think Cole was only like, he's barely walking. We played in the Carousel co-ed league, Mm -hmm. you know, um, Yeah. And so that was a heated league because there was no refs and you had all these, you had all these university players, women and men who were good and they wanted an outlet to play. You know, me and John are on the same team with Gerald and like Mike Schmidt and like, uh, you know, (laughs) uh, some people who are competitive and, uh, the kids watched it every Sunday. We would bring them. And the deal was like Kevin Waterhouse was on the team with Ant with Andrea and Shelly, the girls got to play because you had to always have two girls on the floor with the three guys. The deal was, is that the kids had to be watched by whoever was on the bench. So if John and I were, if John and I were on the court at the same time, you know, somebody had to make sure that the three little ones weren't like running amok. And sometimes as I was dribbling up the basketball, I'd see something happening. I'd be like, focus on one side, trying to like, you know, John be like, give me the ball. So... (laughs) It was an interesting, um, an interesting fun time, but like, I I think we only ended up playing like three seasons because after a while it was like ridiculous, you know, like the, the league got extremely competitive. There were so many people in the league that were from college and, um, hadn't played in a while, but wanted to play. And, you know, John and Gerald being the competitive fire that they are got into (laughs) several altercations in a you know, Sunday league game in the community center with women and men alike, you know, and I think we got banned for one of the games or something like that. So, I'm dying. <laughs> you know, like I think Coots was on one of the teams and then you had like Navi was on one of the teams with like, um, uh, the whole line, that, that other Lang crew of dudes. Yeah. So it was like so competitive, right? And, Wasn't uh, it call your own fouls? Oh, call your own fouls, and then you could contest. So if anyone called a foul on John, he was always like, contest. I'm like, what <laughs> a foul. You know, like, as soon as somebody would call foul, contest. And then you get the ball back, right? So it kind of got to the point where I was like, yeah, is this is this proper? Is this fun for us to be doing this with the kids, right? <laughs> One time the kids were out on the playground, and then somebody came running in and said, one of your kids fell off the playground. I think you have to call the ambulance. I was like, great. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Who's on bench duty and why are they yeah. on the playground? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, being exposed to that kind of um, sport when you're a kid. And then, you know, John and I watched the NBA and Steve was at the height of the Phoenix LA series when, you know, we're just glued to the TV, screaming at the TV. And, you know, John and Gerald, you know, being really good buddies and John having an opportunity to go down to Phoenix and hang out with Nash and like stay and watch games. And he would come back with the gear signed for the kids and like Phoenix t-shirts. And I mean, I knew Steve in high school because we're the same age. Like when I remember when we were graduating, um, everyone was like, he's going to be the best player coming out of the province. And, you know, like people, you know, that, that you're the age is like, 
really like you know like they don't give him the props that he deserved right and so yeah. they find anything that they can to say like how could he possibly be the best player coming out of the province but um when he was first drafted you know like everybody's like super excited and he was in new york and he <laughs> he called my sister and left her a message and said hey i'm in new york i have tickets if you want to come to the game um and left it on her answering machine and she kind of like ignored it because she was like oh, he's not even gonna play like <laughs> you know like <laughs> I'm, I'm working tonight. So she totally said, I, di I didn't even like take him up on the offer. So it was like one of those things that everyone was like, Oh, sweet. He's going to play for a few years. And then we'll get to hear the experience of him being in the league for a couple of years. Right. Because yeah. at the height of the Grizzlies, we were at UBC and we got all the tickets to watch those games. Yeah. You know, like we got to watch all the Grizzlies games because UBC got a whole bunch of tickets. So yeah, basketball is just... too. Yeah. yeah, he'd go to practice and he'd be like, "All right, we're going to end half an hour early because we got tickets to like Indiana Grizzlies tonight." And we're like, "What?" Like we, they just I, did anyone pay for a Grizzlies ticket oh, back in the I day? Don't like, know. I don't know. Now I know why we didn't last. Yeah, one of the girls on my team won a fridge at like one of the um, like shooting competitions because you know, like you you shoot and then you could win a, a fridge full of beer and the fridge. That's awesome. I know. And I got to watch Jordan's last game in um, GM place when he was like on his last circuit of the first time he retired. Right. So no way. We, I went to that bulls um, and obviously he played for like, I don't know, like maybe a quarter because you know, it was the Grizzlies and why would he put himself yeah. out there? But of course it was his tour of his last season. So he always, I think felt obligated to be in all those games. Yeah. So that was super cool. And then my sister at the time, she went was living in New York and she got um, courtside tickets to watch the Bulls-Knicks games all the time. What? I know, because she was working at the bar scene and she had like these dudes who had like season's tickets and she'd get to randomly go to games. And when I, I was in New York for three, um, for three months in the summer when the WNBA started, June two, 1997, the first inaugural Liberties game, Rebecca Lobo. I got to watch that game. It was awesome. I'm legend. I know. This is the same so that was, age. The WNBA had been around since 97? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's like nobody nobody gave that kind of respect, right? Like when you're in high school, when you're in college, you just think, and that first year, because I, I graduated from UBC in 1997 and the WNBA just started. So it was like, wow, there's going to be a women's professional league. And there was a girl that um, was from Canada and she, her name was Susie Giroux. She came and she practiced with us a few times because she was trying to, she was um, wanting to walk on as a, for the tryouts for the storm, for the Seattle storm. Um, she was great too, but obviously she didn't make it, but, uh, it wasn't like, that was the first time that you had an opportunity to think bigger than, you know, for professional basketball as a, as a female. Right. Right. And when I went to New York for the first time, I was like, holy cow, like the professional level of these women watching them live. Like I had watched the NCAA in 1989, like at, in Tacoma, you know, like the final four, my coach took me down to watch it. Um, and that was another time where I saw like amazing women play basketball, but you know, going up to SFU to watch, uh, one year, I saw like an awesome woman there play and, um, Andrea Schneider actually. And so after seeing her, I was like, God, she's really good. And so you only got to see little snippets of women play basketball at my age back then. And now it's like, 
my God, like, I don't know if you watched the WNBA final, but like Sue Bird and Brianna Stewart, like those women are ballers, right? And even the boys were watching with me the other day going like, holy, like they're good. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. there's no denying, like these women are just like hoopers. And, you know, and now that you can follow everything and, you know, back then it was like they would never play women's basketball on ESPN or anything like that, right? Like, so... And nice to see a lot of them getting into coaching too, right? Yeah, yeah. um, So for sure. So, right? Yeah. I think the boys just came by it naturally and me coaching at Vancouver college and and the boys having an opportunity to come to the school. I had talks with each of them and I said, look, if you don't want me to coach your team, then I won't coach because, you know, I know the dynamic between a parent and the kid is difficult in a coaching situation. And they also also know my personality. Right. So, um, I gave my kids the opportunity to say no, and they all said yes. So I committed to staying coaching, um, all of them through grade eight. And it was actually Cole's team, like the last kid of mine where we won the grade eight provincial. So that was really cool because his two brothers are there watching him in grade eight and they never got a chance to win the provincials in grade eight. But then, you know, Cole, um, Cole's team did, and it was our first like grade eight provincial in a little while. And then um, Cole got MVP of that tournament, so it was like good bragging rights over his two older brothers for sure. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> like super super cool moment for like me and him, and like John being there to watch with like you know the uh, the boys. Yeah, for sure, being able to kind of like watch in I, I would say watch like from above. <laughs> no doubt, for sure. You know. Did they just give you like an honorary referee license after raising three kids that were three and a half years apart? Like, did you? you... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, um, it's uh, boys. I think my personality obviously lends to raising boys, but at the same time, like they're a ton of fun. I mean, their personalities are all slightly different, but all super um, the similar in the sense that they all have the same kind of drive, uh, for the sport. Um, that's something that I know John would be super proud of to watch at, uh, their age. You know, they do talk about the fact that, uh, you know, missing their dad and missing the times that he's going to be able to, you know, like they would have been able to kind of like have those conversations with him, you know, Jack being at UBC, and um, Hunter being up at SFU, which I found a letter, actually, Jay Triano was recruiting John for SFU back in the day as well, right? So yeah. um, it's super cool that, like, they're from, you know, they're playing at each school, and who knows where Cole's going to go, but he'll definitely have an opportunity to play as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, people always say, like, what do you do? I, I don't. I try not to talk to the kids too much um, as their mom at home. Like, we... During COVID, we went back to our old house and we actually took our hoop back that was like sitting in the yard that we sold the house. But we knew that the we knew that the people that were living there didn't care and we just literally rented a U-Haul. We shoved the the old hoop in the back of the truck and we put it in our new house. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was like a lifesaver for us during COVID. And so, like, yeah, I would go out there and still do some shooting games with the kids and you know, at any opportunity, if I win anything or, um, at their age now, like there's going to be some trash talking and there's going to be some words said. So (laughs) it's a, it's a good family thing, but I try not to like over, 
say things, but obviously I do, you know, I, I make my comments when I make my comments and, uh, just like any coach would. And sometimes I say to them, I remind them like when I'm on the floor with them, I'm their coach, I'm not their mother. That relationship is kind of pretty, you know, I think it's pretty solid in that sense. I, you know, I'm pretty sure my kids respect, you know, me and what I do as not only a teacher, but as a coach and like, and in terms of like being their mom, like they obviously see that side of me as well. But, uh, I was the one that got to do the coaching for them in that sense. Whereas John did all like the, the stuff with them when they were little doing all the fun little drills and skills and all that kind of stuff. And so they think about like, Oh, now that they can dunk, you know, what would we be like up against dad one-on-one? -on -one? And I was like, trust me, your dad's not going to be letting you win anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, never let your children beat you because one day they will. So when they were little, they never won. <laughs> 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 they never won. And sometimes John would get heated. I'm like, John, like they're in grade six, you know, like you need to relax. <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> well, and I think you know, with everything that you're, you know, your family's been through, I think your boys are lucky to have, you know, someone with your personality and your heart because um, when they needed a rock and someone to fall back on, you know, you were there to like, hold everyone up. And I'm sure at times it was exhausting for you and probably still is at times as well, but look at where they are now and how they've grown and developed. And they're, you know, you got two moving on to post-secondary and, you know, sometimes hopefully you sit back and have a glass of wine and just have a smile on your face and know that you've, you've done an amazing job as well, you know? Yeah. Thank you. And, and again, during a time like this, God, the basketball community rally behind us, you know, and I, I know that you've been a part of that and I know you've seen it and we run John's tournament and unfortunately it didn't get a, a chance to run this year. But when something like this happens to a family and to, you know, a community and you see like the love and the support and the people that rally behind you and, you know, John's teammates from all over came, um, you know, to support us and they still continue to support the boys and they show up to games and they show up to their seniors night and they send the kids notes and letters and they take them out on their birthday. And, you know, you know, Steve coming down that weekend when we had that tournament for, for John the first year, you know, he rearranged his like stag, you know, like he was getting married on the, on like the first or the second and he rearranged his stag into Vancouver. Cause Gerald kind of like talked to him a little bit about like what it was going to involve and would he come. And he's always been so gracious and so kind. And even like, you know, when he comes into town, like I brought the kids to some like Steve Nash signing at like one of his gyms and he saw me and the kids in the background and he's just like, you know, he waved us over and he told the other people like, it's fine, it's fine. And he talks to the kids right to their face and, you know, signs their basketballs and like tells them all this stuff. Like, so he's always been so gracious to come even to like, he went to Jack's grade eight basketball game when he was here in town. Uh, Hyde Lai was like at the varsity tournament with SMU. And so he came to watch SMU play and we just so happened to have a, a game in the other gym with the grade eights. And Oh my God, the rock star was in town because as soon as they saw that Steve was like it watching a grade eight game yeah, and everybody around town, like, you know, and then he stopped and he took photos with everybody. And so you know, it's that kind of thing about your community and the people that like, remember that, uh, you know, the human part of, uh, it's more than a game. And, and my kids have been witness to that. And I think that's the most valuable thing that's come out of the fact that, you know, 
sure their dad was an amazing basketball player and he contributed to the sport and and influenced them for sure. And they get to see how the community continues to like, um, support them still, you know, and, um, it's, it's been amazing. And so I think it even solidifies more for them how much sport can do, you know, for you. Man. So well said. Whew. Yeah, pause for a sec here. <laughs> that was poetic. Um, thanks for sharing all that. It's great. Um, this has been super cool. Um, it's been awesome. Yeah. So happy to have you on. But for real, though. What's your thoughts about ketchup on macaroni? Well, so, you know, you can't call Kraft Dinner and boxed macaroni mac and, mac and cheese. It's just like another thing that's out on the on the shelf that you eat, right? It's like Ichiban is not real ramen. But... Okay, okay, we're getting authentic <laughs> here. But if, uh, like, I have for sure eaten ketchup on macaroni and cheese on that Kraft Dinner, but I make homemade real mac and cheese, and that definitely has no place for ketchup. So um, it just depends, you know, it depends. Yeah. Cause Fair ketchup enough. masks other things. And so, you know, as soon as you put ketchup, on ketchup. <laughs> it's pretty true. Actually. I've started to realize that by asking yeah. people this question, that like ketchup really does mask a lot of stuff. Yeah. yeah. And the hot sauce thing for sure. Like you could put hot yeah. sauce in your macaroni and cheese. It amps up the flavor of it for sure. Okay, but uh, internal family, <laughs> in, internal family question too. Who makes the best lumpia? Um, well, my mother. Yeah, yeah. that stuff at you the know. barbecue. I'm not gonna lie; like it was sitting there, and like I just yeah. was looking around, and then I just made myself <laughs> start chatting with the boys. And I, I can put back twenty of those, no problem, in like no time at all. Yeah. And also, you know, like the, we live now by, you know, like the really good Filipino place, like restaurants. So like, yeah, no point in putting the effort through when it's sitting right there and it's amazing. But, but I make really good chicken adobo. So I'll make you that sometime because my chicken adobo is good. There we go. All right. <laughs> um, Who's the greatest basketball player you ever played against? Okay, so Corbs. Yep. Who won rookie MVP and like the NBA MVP, uh, NBA Finals MVP, All Star MVP, Coach of the Year, Executive of the Year? Oh. Uh huh. Oh, she- she threw this at you. Rookie of the year. Yes. NBA MVP. All star MVP. NBA Finals MVP. Coach of the year. Executive of the year. Oh, I think I know who this is. Yeah. Corbs, you're too young for this. My, my guess, I, I don't think it's right. Um, Larry Bird? Yeah, money! Let's go! I wasn't sure about the part. It was uh, for the Pacers, right? 
Why are you yes, yelling right. at her like through the laptop, man? <laughs> just, just, <laughs> just screaming at her through the laptop. I'm excited. I'm excited. <laughs> Obviously, Michael Jordan. When I was a kid, I had Michael Jordan posters and Dominique Wilkins posters, and I was a girl that sat and cut out SI, like you know, like Larry John, Stacy Ogman, Sean Elliott. Greg Anthony, like when Shaquille O'Neal played for LSU, I remember coming downstairs and being like, has anybody seen Shaquille O'Neal? He plays for LSU. My brother was like, what are you talking about? And I like (laughs) would make collages of all these people and put them on my wall. And I was obsessed. And I had like Jordan Chicago Bulls outfits and all that kind of stuff. But when I was um, really looking at games from the past, because I, I was too young to watch these games live too, but Larry Bird, come on. Like, first of all, he's super unathletic looking and he's not like your quintessential like basketball player looking guy. And what he did, you know, and how he was able to like do what he did. I mean, sure, he was big dude, but come on, Larry Bird. Hey, no one's going to argue. No, I'm not going to argue on that. No, no yeah. definitely not. No. And, you know, that, that, I was, I was a little obsessed. Like I would go back and watch like Kevin McHale and Dennis Johnson and you'd have like Robert Parrish and they were like good. And they were like, I think I liked the, like the grittiness and the toughness. And I liked how Larry Bird was a little like, you know, little trash talker, cheap shotter, you know, back in the day kind of player. And, and I loved Gary Payton. If I had a daughter, I was going to name her Payton after Gary Payton. So like, you know, the glove. So I liked him and, um, and what I, I laughed when Dominic said Dent LeShrimp, but I actually really <laughs> liked Dent LeShrimp too, because I mean, when he was on the Sonics, like, right? Yeah, we got that a lot of Sonics group. up here. Yeah. Yeah. So that whole crew and when the kids were little, John and I took the kids to so- a few Sonics games when it was still like there. Right. And so yeah, we were able to like kind of bring them over and watch some of those games. But uh, yeah, man, Larry Bird. And uh, I mean, you know, sure, Brian loved Larry Bird as, and he probably like influenced that that pick as well. But at the same time, you know, when you watch old footage back, when he took that steal, you know, you know the famous steal. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. On the. Yeah, to win that game, so. You know, I think it's pretty cool. And I also think that somebody who transcends himself in every aspect of the game where he becomes like a coach and then he comes an executive and he's always like being at the top of his game in that respect. Like, I don't know. You really, you really thought this through. I love it. Yes. Hard to argue with that. (laughs) It's hard to argue with that answer, even though, even though, yeah, Michael Jordan athletically and everything else that we know about him and after watching the last dance for sure. But come on. Larry Legend it is. Yep, that's right. Um, When you finish your like practicum day in North Fed and you've already got through the latest episode of a hoops journey and you click over to your (laughs) tunes, what are you what are you bumping? Are you like rocking some serious nineties or what are we what are we talking about here? Well, it's so funny because like having teenagers, I've heard everything under the sun and sometimes I like it and sometimes I don't. And then sometimes I'm like, who's this again? Like J Cole is something that I think the kids listen to a lot, but I quite like his music. Um, But I like Leon Bridges and I like kind of like a, a good vibe in my car. And actually you posted something on Anderson park and I like started listening a little bit to Anderson park and I, um, you know, like, and then I'll, I'll 
I'll, I'll definitely listen to some other random like singer songwriter folky songs but i've always i took the kids to watch straight out of compton when they were when it first came out like we were the first ones in line at like midnight to watch the show and okay the, oh, jack was like the oldest and he was like in the eighth grade and like cole maybe maybe was like in grade five or six and i was like <laughs> oh my god and, and you know the scenes that are in that movie yeah. right so everybody's yeah. staring at me and I, and I brought my sister's kids too so I'm, I'm in the line by myself with six boys who are underage and then we sit like in the prime time seats of straight out of Compton and I'm pumping to the music and I'm like loving Amazing. it. And I'm telling the kids like, see, this is real rap music and all this stuff. And the kids are like getting into it too. Cause they hadn't heard of it before. And then the scene in the hotel comes on and I'm like, Oh God, close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. <laughs> That's so oh, funny. That's bad parenting right there. Everybody was looking at me like, oh my God, this woman. And it's like midnight. You know, I take them to like the late showing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On a school night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. So I mean, I'm I'm diverse. When I was like in high school, I definitely listened to like Snoop Dogg and like I love Jay-Z and like, do you remember Salt and Peppa? Like of my course. sister did a like a dance to Salt and Pepper, but like and Run DMC, but uh, I like all kinds of music. I'm not opposed. Let's see which one next? Greatest chip. What is the greatest chip? Well, here's the thing. I am definitely a chip connoisseur. I eat any chip. And first of all, if you've ever gone to Superstore, Superstore has like the craziest flavors. You can get like buffalo and blue cheese you can get hot dog you can get hamburger like cheeseburger you can get um barbecue baby back ribs like these are flavors and i've tried every single one of them and i they're the, and then, are they a white bag they're white bags usually, yeah, right they're white bags yeah yeah, yeah. Pre yeah. president's ripples. choice they're, yeah. yeah they're all ridges and then they came up with the double loaded so double loaded ketchup double loaded dill double loaded sour cream and uh and then i like all the kettle cooked ones man with like the honey mustard and the dijon this and the um jalapeno lime so it's hard to say which chip i would pick you know because i like them all but i always make sure that we have like all dressed in the house and um some kind of like chili lime chip and the kids love all different kinds of barbecue but when I was a kid, I had ketchup chips like every day. Really? Yeah, I, old Dutch ketchup chips. That was like Steve Hansen said the same thing, but we're the same age. It came in a box with two bags in it, and you get ketchup chips. <laughs> <laughs> or Doritos Zesty, because Doritos Ooh. in the orange bag was different than Doritos in the red bag. Wow. See? Yeah, you are legit. Yeah. You are legit. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You might have Steve Hansen beat. Like she talked, she didn't just talk about like five brands. She talked about a whole aisle in a store. Like, oh, and, and when Lay's came up with their like, you know, bacon, sour cream, baked potato, like I went onto the Lay's website and I suggested like eight different kinds of chips. <laughs> <laughs> Because I wanted them to choose them, right? Like they had some crazy ones, but I was like, oh, I have some ideas and I like put my ideas on. I think one of them was definitely like chili cheese lime or something like that. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. 
we've been taken to a whole nother level here, Corpse. <laughs> Phenomenal stuff. <laughs> um, who's been the most important person in your life or people? Oh, yeah. I mean, you can't not mention like your immediate family, like your parents and, you know, like my parents, obviously, who came to Canada and like, you know, gave us this opportunity to begin with, you know, my mom was 25 with four children and decided like, let's just do it. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, I would have to say, honestly, you know, when you have children with somebody, um, you know, John and I knew each other in high school and, and you know, we were friends, but, um, and, you know, friends through sport and we had mutual respect for each other at UBC. We were still just friends, you know, like he, um, he had a different, he was dating somebody else and I was dating somebody else, but had a great friendship. And then again, with sport and what connects you, um, we, you know, started dating shortly after we both graduated from university and traveled and, you know, having a family together and having these three boys together, you know, and the influence that he had, you know, on me as like, you know, what I could do as a, you know, like as a female in terms of just like, you know, he always had that belief in me that I could like, you know, do whatever I set my mind to as well. And, you know, he, he always saw that, like, I was somebody that could coach and that could do all these things. And, um, one time he was just like, Oh, you should be a firefighter because like you're a female and they're looking for ethnicity in their fire department. And I was like, John, <laughs> I'm five foot six. I was like, I don't think I can carry like a 250 pounder outside of a building. And he was like, sure you could. He's like, you should apply. <laughs> So, um, I would say for sure, John has been the most significant person in my life. I mean, you know, I know he's gone, but he's not gone. And so, you know, he continues to be like a guiding light for me and the boys and, um, you know, that spirit of his will always be around. So, yeah. Awesome. So well said again. Thank you for sharing that. Um, before we ask you the last question, Corbs has a question for you. <laughs> Do you, big guy? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Is it going to be an accident? Oh, we've been, we've been on some on road trips, Corbs. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's not an X's and O's question. That's that's more. That's <laughs> me DMing her later on or something like that. And don't don't get me started about our overtime game in 2019. I have nightmares. Uh, <laughs> so you and Mitch, you know, like uh, throughout this podcast, you have talked. We've talked about these and throughout our episodes and stuff uh great coaches in your lives like your your coach at palmer less and you know for mitch it was chambers and or you know goulet and all those but now with kind of the prol proliferation of club basketball and the kind of the rise of you know the basketball kind of been a, being a year-round sport do you think the role of the high school coach has changed and if so how mm, that's a really good question because um, my kids have in the latter part of like the rise of club basketball have, um, been in club basketball and, ah, I have a lot of mixed feelings about club basketball because one, I think it's an amazing opportunity that my kids have had to, to travel and to be on a team with like, you know, it's kind of like that all-star team. And I'm going to tell you, I worked behind the scenes with Ross Tomlinson, like for a few years, cause I coached BC regional team about how to bridge provincial and club basketball 
um, so that the seasons could were aligned, so that the kids could play both, so that they didn't have to choose. Um, and I know that it's still an ongoing conversation that hasn't really been resolved and whether or not club basketball takes over. The influences, I think, are deep because in schools, unless you go to a top school, so we're fortunate to have good coaches at Vancouver College, and you guys are fortunate to have good coaches at your school, and there's programs that are storied programs that continue to have good coaches, and the relationship is there. But there's a lot of schools where there aren't coaches anymore, right? Like they bring in their dad, they bring in their mom, they bring in like somebody from like the community or just like somebody that's in grade 11 or 12 that's still in the school. And then they just have like a teacher sponsor. So like the coaching influence, if you're part of a really good program in a high school is still significant. But what happens now is in these club programs is like you have the relationship that these kids develop with like club coaches and, you know, whether or not it's, you know, they're getting paid for this and there's, uh, you know, there's a lot to be said about the ones that are doing it the right way and the ones that are doing it for the monetary means. And I'm not going to make any judgments on who that is or whatever, but it's hard because people want to believe that their kids are good, right? And then you have somebody that tells you that, but you're also paying them for that. And so you have to be really careful as a parent to to have like a really open mind about what the purpose is of you going and moving your kids to club sports, you know? And I think that, is it an opportunity? Is it um, an opportunity that can't be given in school? Is it just because it's fun? Like, I think there, you know, we, we lose the fun factor and I just really wanted my kids to have a lot of fun with other and experiences with kids who play from different schools, because you don't have that open gym mentality anymore that we used to where kids would just all show up at one gym and play basketball, even if they were from different schools. So the club opportunity affords kids to start doing that again and playing with kids from all around the lower mainland. When you have a relationship with a coach in that capacity, Sure, you might weigh what they say more than what your coach has to say. But I also think that that has a lot to do and the responsibility of like the program that you run at your school. So if you are able to like really have that influence because you see them every day at school and you know, like when you're when you're coaching during the season, if you are able to connect to the kids in that way and they respect you in that manner, then yeah, there's more influence that you have. But it's a tricky subject, you know, and there are very, very good club coaches. I'm not saying that there isn't because, um, you know, I know a lot of them too. And I know that there's uh, guys out there and girls out there that are doing service to kids. Do I agree with all around sports? Uh, no, I do not. Not at a young age for sure. I think that kids start to, you know, really hone in on their sport when they become 15, 16 and 17. But like, if you're a little fifth grader and you've only played one sport i don't think that's good you know so um yeah i got a lot of and i've come through the programs with my kids starting when club club basketball actually wasn't very big yet you know and then they kind of started so there i've, I've come in the in-between part of that and i've seen like the traveling and i've seen where traveling is like not not like there's no point to it. And then I've seen where it's super beneficial and there's like some really good tournaments to like, to be experienced, to have the experience in. 
So yeah, I've seen really both sides of that. But again, if you're a high school coach and you want to have the influence on your players, um, you know, it is, it is the relationship that, and the commitment that you have to them. Great answer. Never really thought of <sighs> making me feel guilty, just being more conscious of how fortunate we are at independent schools, right? You make a great point about mm-hmm. just how many kids maybe just don't have that consistent coaching, right? Um, yeah. yeah, it's a great point. Yeah, and they're looking for it, right? And they're looking for something that somebody's invested in. And so, you know, as teachers, we know how difficult that can be to have teachers expected to put the kind of time in and you're not getting paid. Like in public school, you're not getting paid. Even where we work, we, we get what's called a stipend, but like, it's not, you know, like you're not measuring it up to like what the time, the amount of time that you put in to coaching. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I can, I, I can really understand that. Right. And that kind of feedback, but I, I have seen the transition of right. parents, the yeah. involvement of parents, um, overtaking that part too. And so, yeah, yeah. that's been, an interesting dynamic because as a parent, I know that, um, there's some influence that you can have. And then there's, um, a point where, you know, yeah. it's just not healthy. Yeah. It's a whole nother podcast. Corbs with the, Corbs with the deep dive question. Yeah, well, done, sure. man. well done. Well done. Well, you know what? I know, uh, we, we really appreciate your time and I know you've, you're enjoying the podcast and the stories and going down memory lane a bit, but before you go, the most important question would be if you could do it all again, you would. Um, if I could do it all again, um, I definitely wish, and it's, uh, you know, it's, when you're a woman who has to birth children, like your body physically actually has to give birth, then it doesn't allow you to do some certain things during that time. Um, so, uh, I wouldn't obviously take away the fact that I've had three young kids at a younger age, but, uh, I have always wanted to be involved, um, in coaching at a high level, you know, like it's something that, and it's not something that's still not a possibility, but at the same time, you know, uh, with circumstances as they are, I would love to have had an opportunity to coach like at like, um, a college level, for example, right. Like, um, whether it would be like at a junior college level or like assisting at a higher level, um, that would have been an awesome fun, I think, opportunity to be a part of, but, um, at the same time, it's like, you know, there's, there's 10,000 different wishes that you wish that you could have an opportunity to do. And even just listening to Al Whitley today and saying like, you know, like, Talk, talk about circumstance and being at the right place at the right time. You know, what, you know, that opportunity that he was given just because of the, the circumstances that he surrounded and then being able to capitalize on it and then doing, you know, working his butt off. That's amazing. Right. Like, so yeah, I mean, could I have maybe coached at a higher level? Like when I was younger? Sure. Maybe. But I also had three little kids when I was, but when I was 29, I had three children. (laughs) (laughs) That you wouldn't trade the world for too. Right. So it's, you know what I mean? Yeah. That I would not change the world for. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But yeah, I mean, regrets. No, you don't have regrets in your life. There's so many things in, that happen in your life and you wouldn't regret or change a lot of those things. But like you, in terms of just like, you know, I wish I, I also wish that I could coach in the NFL. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Shoot for the stars, you know, that's right. So lots that, of stuff. Once you get that <laughs> master's degree, anything's possible. Right? <laughs> 
And speaking of which, you, you probably have some work to do. But uh, before we let you go, <laughs> is there any more any other shout outs or anyone that you feel like you've missed? But we do appreciate it, and this has been great. You know, I just think having strong independent women on the show as well letting young ballers know that like if they work hard there's a path for them too and um no matter if they choose to get into coaching men like yourself or if they coach women or whatever it is that's you know basketball is a path for many of us and your story is a great one so thank you for being with us well, I really appreciate you having me on the podcast. I mean, I know we're, we're buddies and we're friends and you didn't have to do it, but uh, <laughs> the opportunity was great. And I mean, maybe my story isn't as like sensational as other people's stories, but I also know that, you know, everybody's story has something in it that somebody will resonate from. And I just really hope that like somebody out there and I'm going to obviously make all of my friends and family listen to my podcast. <laughs> yeah. Download, 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 like, share. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's like, you know, you, you hear one thing from somebody else and you think, Oh yeah, maybe that's an opportunity that I can have too. So. Yeah, no, it's so true. And, and, and being genuinely, honest like we had you on the radar and on the list and you know we like we were only 20 odd ish episodes in and we've still got so many or more people's stories to share and it really wasn't it's not about the names and i totally agree like it's it's literally free pro d for us from a basketball standpoint and from a human side learning so many things about so many people and and thankful that i get to hear stories and um, just how things work for people and how they respond to adversity or success. It's just been a great, um, a great thing. And you're absolutely correct. There's going to be someone out there that will be driving in their car somewhere and they're going to go, Oh yeah. Or, and they're going to go back and listen to it again. So thank you for your time. Um, wish you nothing but success. Good luck finishing up all that schoolwork and, um, getting all that done. I know you'll have, uh, you know, a lot more time on your hands, but, you'll find something else to get busy with. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for having me on you guys. No worries. And, and yeah, who knows what will happen with season, but uh, we'll see you either in a gym or uh, at a park sometime soon, hopefully. Yeah, for sure. All right. All right, Corbs, you can, you can message me. I'll give you some plays. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Great episode. Thank you to our listeners. We will see you on the next episode. Good lad clothing, Parkside Brewery. Thanks again for your support. Later.